podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hello, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association, and thank you for joining our podcast entitled, Win, Lose, or Draw, Doubling Down for Successful Program Building. And we're very lucky today to have two presenters. Uh, our first presenter, uh, Alan D. Greenberg, he, who, okay, I'm not going to call you D. Okay. Uh, our first presenter is Alan Greenberg. He's senior analyst and partner at Wayne House Research. Many of you may know Alan. Uh, Alan leads the Wayne House Research distance education and e-learning practice and has published reports, white papers, and research notes on a variety of technologies and their impact on educational and business processes. His most recent full report, I'm going to say that again because I know I won't like it, his most recent full report series is a three-volume distance education and e-learning landscape for 2007-2009, where he covered interactive whiteboards, web conferencing, virtual worlds, video conferencing, lecture capture, and learning management systems. And we're especially thrilled to have Alan here with us today because he is receiving this evening the 2010 United States Distance Learning Association Award for Outstanding Leadership in Distance Learning. Congratulations, Alan, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Marilyn. We also have Monica Coogan. Uh, Monica is with the Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration. Uh, she is Director of Business Development and K-20 Services for CILC. Uh, in this role, she works with schools, K through 20, community organizations, content providers, vendors, and businesses to build partnerships and application solutions in distance learning and collaborative technologies. Monica, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, your topic title is interesting, and I'm not sure what it's all about. Could you give us a little more information about it? You bet, Marilyn, and thanks again for having us today. Um, Two things. One is you have to be catchy with your titles, so we just felt like coming up with something a little bit catchy. But when we thought about it, uh, Monica and I realized that, that in fact it, it's appropriate because what we're talking about here, it shouldn't have to be a gamble. It's this, it, it, there are metrics and there are ways of making sure that a distance learning program is successful. And a lot of what, we're, what we spoke about here at the conference and what we're here to talk about today has to do with things that we've learned uh, doing field work, doing a lot of surveys and research and talking to folks. Um, we can talk about the methodology in a moment, but, but there are things that you can do to make it all work. Well, I find it interesting. What actually is so important about how to be successful? Okay, well, the very first thing is I think anyone who's been involved in the field of distance education is aware that we've seen successful programs over the years. We've seen programs sometimes be successful and then fall by the wayside because the, a champion moves on or um, 
a grant goes away and they haven't created a sustainable business model. But what's so especially important about all of this is the fact that there's so much momentum now with distance education, uh, both with next generation learner expectations. The technologies are now reaching a kind of a, a critical mass in, in terms of their uh, uh, capabilities as well as the perceived value that they provide. Uh, the, there's the timing and the need as we are going to a kind of a global environment and a, even a restructuring of our economy that uh, uh, this is the right time for this topic. I've had the good fortune of uh, reading many of your reports. Uh, they're very impressive and I know you'll give us some contact information on uh, how our listeners can uh, I know you'll be able to give us some contact information on how our listeners will be able to find those reports on the internet, uh, but could you share with us where do you get the data that has led to many of the very interesting and insightful conclusions in your reports? Well, as one of the partners with Wayne House Research, Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration conducted a statewide analysis uh, by conducting interviews with state leadership teams and district teams to determine how they were implementing and utilizing their distance education. And when we discussed those conversations or when we had those conversations, we did a, a series of interview questions with them um, to gather data not only about their implementation, but what were their successes and what were their failures? What did they find? So a lot of our particularly K-12 data is really based in the field and based in practice. And um, we were successfully able to gather about 44 states uh, in that report. And that's another one of the reports that's available both through the CILC website as well as through Alan's website, Wayne House. Right. If I could add to that. Please no. do. So um, that, that white paper is called the 2009 update, taking the wraps off video conferencing in the U.S. classroom. Then on top of that, uh, we developed a white paper called Critical Success Factors for Deploying Distance Education Technologies. On top of that, um, Wayne House Research has had conducting, uh, consulting engagements. On top of that, Wayne House Research has had consulting engagements here in the United States, in China, Australia, Canada, and elsewhere. Um, and we did a, a, an engagement with the state of Arkansas to take a look at what they were doing for their distance education all the way across their K-12. And what we found was an amazing similarity. We were doing survey work, for instance, in a, in a large uh, western state last year together, CILC and White House Research. And the data that we got from that survey in terms of obstacles completely mapped directly to the data that we got from the, the work with the 50 states that we did. That's very interesting. I know I will delete that. See, it's very interesting. <laughs> I know, I'll sound so stupid when I do it. Forget it, I'm not saying it is. <laughs> it is, I want to say, wow, tell me more. But I, um, I know you work with many organizations, and I know, I realize there are a lot of obstacles. What have you found to be the major obstacles for many organizations? All right, and this is, in fact, the... The, uh, we rank these, okay, and this is what we got from both that Western state as well as uh, the, the interviews. The number one is lack of bandwidth and or technology infrastructure, and that might be um, dated technology that has not, not yet been upgraded. Um, it could be just simply older equipment. Uh, staffing, the inability to provide or, or plan for support personnel. 
lack of interest on the part of sufficient educators and administrators, the old internal marketing side of it. And then, of course, funding. Funding is always a challenge, and we found that across the board, and that ranks up there with some of the others that Alan just discussed. In addition to that, we have found that um, many folks don't have a statewide or a district policy or standards in place or even champions to do this. Uh, some states may take it from the top, but they haven't really involved the field, and so as that happens, or they haven't involved the practitioners, there's a loss of sustainability of their distance education programs. And the most successful states, we have found, has a kind of, kind of a combination of top-down. There's someone leading at the state, setting some policies, doing some guidance, and a lot of bottom-up where people are saying, we want to do more of this, and, 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 and everybody working together. I know you provide some incredible advice uh, to the organizations. Could you suggest how these organizations uh, actually overcome the obstacles? That, that, that in, could you describe how some of the organizations actually overcome the obstacles? You bet. Well, one is, on the technology side, we've actually, and, and in the, we heard from some of the uh, universities and schools that were in our session here yesterday afternoon is that in fact some organizations don't really plan for upgrades they don't they don't really have a long-term horizon they're, they're thinking one year out at the most and they're more concerned and get tied up with all of the deployment issues we believe that when you're first doing your grant applications or when you're you're doing your planning process you really need a two to five year horizon, knowing that you're going to be revising that periodically. You're not going to stick to that same plan several years out. It's going to be a new plan every six months to a year. Second, in terms of staffing, uh, it's shocking to me how many organizations expect their university professors to teach uh, using lecture capture or video conferencing or web conferencing without providing instructional designers. And it is, it is absolutely mandatory that you have instructional designers. It has to be a, an item that is, is funded and planned for, one or more depending upon your faculty workload. The successful programs have instructional designers. Um, then lastly, on the, on the, the issue of uh, educator interest and, and getting people engaged, there are a couple things you can do. You can, you can hold content programs where you can bring in vendors to talk about the te different technologies. You can bring in someone, for instance, someone like myself or Monica, someone from Wayne House Research or CILC, who's familiar with uh, the issues at hand and, and who can you know, talk to the, the research that's taking place, because we have a pretty, good a pretty good handle on all of the research that's going on. We've done a number of meta-studies and so forth. So it's a, it's a marketing side of it. And then you create some metrics where you're also tracking how much is going on? Uh, I was just at a university last week, uh, a medical school, where they're doing lecture capture, and they track when lectures are recorded and when they're released by the professors, because that's their policy there, is the professors get to decide when they're released. And they have uh, a moving, moving average and, and set of numbers that, where they're tracking and able to say, okay, here's we need to work on this or we need to work on that uh, in order to promote the, the technology. Monica? In addressing it from a funding issue, I think what's important to look at and what we've found across the groups is professionalizing the grant process and the budget process. And when putting together a distance education program of sorts, you really need to look at resident business models. So sometimes folks look at this, I, I mentioned this in the group yesterday, um, many and the keynote brought this up um, yesterday. You look at a, a model and you say in distance education, well that may decrease our gate. 
decrease our take. And from CILC's organization, we've looked at content providers who did not want to use distance education because they felt it would um, decrease their gain when they were coming through the program. But if you look at it as a business model, it really actually increases. Um, it brings more awareness. So when you're building your program and your funding, you need to look at where do I pull the funding in from that? Where do I build that model? And in one of our western states, they looked at that quite a bit through their community colleges. How were they going to do that? How are they going to access the funding? Uh, another piece that I would add to that is reallocating traditional budgets. Um, sometimes if we take a look at those budgets and you look where your heavier expenditures, you can reallocate those to your distance education program and you can put it into more effective funding for the program. Regarding champions, and Alan mentioned this before and I'll just reiterate it, and this was a discussion we had with the group yesterday, it's really important to bring everybody to the table. Uh, you need to involve anyone who's going to be in part of the program. You need to involve anyone who will be part of the program. Bring them to the table in the discussion, in the planning, and that way you're building the champions not only from the top down, but you're involving grassroots. And I'd like to add, <coughs> excuse me, I'd like to add to that, <coughs> and I'd like to add to that, uh, I used a term, I, I, you know, I've got a master's in English, so I get to mangle the, the English language. I used a term that everybody keeps questioning me in webinars and, and events, which is blowback. Uh, avoid political blowback. So what you do is you choose your champions. If you're deploying a technology that's, that's new to folks, um, choose early adopters or choose individuals who are going to be forgiving, who are going to be willing to learn it with you and not be the types of people who, you know, when I call it political blowback, um, you know, it's it's the same thing as, as an eruption of a volcano. It, it can, can destroy a program or a, the beginnings of a program if, if you've got a bunch of people angry because it takes a while to get these technologies working and understood. Blowback is actually a book I just read recently, uh -huh. the title of a book you cool. should, and I will cut that out. <laughs> um, what policy, deployment, or pedagogical recommendations uh, do you often make when you're working with an organization? Well, from a policy perspective, I believe, and Monica, Monica agrees with me, speaking for Monica, uh, Wayne House Research and CILC believe that you have to promote the concept of distance education as a component of your educational baseline. It's not separate. It, for, it needs to become embedded in the organization. That means that you treat your remote learners the same way you treat your local learners. Your fee structures are similar. Your student services are very similar. Uh, it's absolutely necessary if it's going to become in, embedded in the organization and accepted. That then becomes a sustainable program where it's feeding the bottom line of the university. Okay. Uh, seek external content. Don't, don't assume that you have all the content yourself. Uh, I'd like to say ignore those who wish to spend their time creating obstacles. That just means do it. Don't let anybody block you because there will be people who, who do not want to, to go where you'd like to take them. And make sure this is a funded line item. Um, there are universities now that are adding millions of dollars to their bottom line simply by saying we're going to invest X dollars in lecture capture or video conferencing or web conferencing and build, building programs around that. From deployment, uh, I'd like to add to that on the deployment aspect. One thing that we don't see a lot of schools always doing, although I think this is increasing, is researching other models. There, there's so many research models out there schools, universities, K-12, they're very willing to share their models, what they're doing in distance education. And we need to get to a point where you're looking at those models, 
tell them what your needs are, what your values are, what you're looking at, and build that into the process, uh, as well as systemic planning. I think it's important, and what we've seen in our results is those folks that are planning way out, um, involving all of the players in the process, are much more successful with their programs than if they involve a short group and they only think short term. I think one of the most important points um, that we've discovered is a strong value need. If you cannot define the need, if you cannot uh, define who this is impacting and where you're going with that, you're really setting yourself up for failure. So it's very important to focus on that. We've already talked about uh, selecting the early users wisely. And then the last thing I think that's important is uh, professional development and touching many when you go into this process. If you're only going to reach a small group of folks, sometimes those programs do not sustain themselves. And then if I could add, Marilyn, in terms of, of uh, what's called this a grab bag of, of either pedagogical or policy or deployment type issues, one would be to create processes for understanding the needs of your learners or your stakeholders and so forth. Um, constantly assess your market because we're, we're finding that a lot of schools don't they don't really know where, where they're losing their learners to. What competitor are they losing their learners to? It's pretty important to be trying to create some processes for doing the market research that's necessary. You want to centralize your brain work. And again, we've worked in, in states or we've even worked in universities where different hands don't know what the other hands are doing. And you need somebody who's responsible for knowing everything going on. It doesn't mean that it's a command and control center that's making all the policy, but certainly from an assessment and an understanding of what's happening, you, try to, you need to centralize that. Uh, leadership we've talked about, providing as much assessment as you can on the back end, um, how are grades being affected, what's happening with, with learner retention, what's happening with the attitudes of both your learners as well as your faculty, and then lastly, seek sustainability and scalability. I'd like to add one thing to that, Alan. We need to start thinking in our universities um, and in our colleges about educating our future students on how to educate through distance education. Uh, one of the things that isn't happening is we're not giving enough professional development prior to them hitting their practices in the classrooms. So that needs to be very uh, cognizant in the minds of the education process as they go forward. And oftentimes, the group that is left out of all of these decision-making things we've talked about are the learners. And if they're the digital natives, if they're the group that we're trying to access, then we really need to be getting their voice in the process. And we need to be involving them and definitely impacting their world and impacting their learning sequence. And if that, uh, if that voice is not in there early, you're also setting yourself up for failure. I have to ask this question. Uh, if you had a crystal ball, uh, where is the technology going? Well, that's, uh, we try to have a crystal ball at Wayne House Research. Um, and everybody needs to remember, we're constantly revising what we think about where things are going. But 15 years ago, I was with a video conferencing vendor focusing on education. And we were saying that we would have a world with video jukeboxes on campuses and people would be accessing lectures. Well, guess what? Nobody thought it was going to happen and it is happening in a big way. Um, Cisco system says that 90% of internet traffic by the year 2013 is going to be video. And so I'd say video is going to be increasingly important. And that's not just two-way video, but that's just all that YouTube stuff, all that one-way streaming stuff. Um, 
a much greater emphasis on personal learning communities and learner-to-learner -learner collaborations. Monica? Yeah, I think the other thing that we're seeing a lot, particularly in the K-12 space, is hybrid approaches to the distance education programs. Folks that really started out full, let me say that again, uh, those schools that started out using live two-way interactive video as their main source are now doing hybrid models where they're combining online and the video conferencing models together. I've also seen in some large school districts the movement towards, they may have had a classroom set for video conferencing, now they're looking at their desktop video conferencing. How can I bring it into every classroom? And how can I open the world to my learner. So we're seeing a lot more in K-12 of students wanting to collaborate outside their classroom and that's creating a different need in the design of the education programs. Alan and Monica, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise and I was hoping that you would give us some contact information. How do you how do you want that? Uh, you said, however, <laughs> no, however you want to do, do it. it uh, yeah. Okay, either your telephone or uh, email yes, address. Okay. For a good time, for a good time, call <laughs> yeah. Marilyn Gardner. Uh, at, yeah. Okay. Um, people, people can reach me in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the things I'd like to do is suggest that you visit WayneHouse.com. That's W-A-I-N-H-O-U-S-E.com slash mail, M-A-I-L, and you can sign up to hear about our uh, uh, education and e-learning practice. Um, we're creating a brand new subscription service priced far more affordably than some of the large market research firms, and a lot of people think that we, are, we know these technologies the best, so I encourage people to take a look, and uh, uh, that's one way. Um, you can reach me personally at A. Greenberg. That's A-G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G at waynehouse.com. Uh, my Twitter is Alan G at, and that's with A-T spelled out, W-R. So that's Alan G at W-R. So feel free to uh, hear about what I'm up to over, over Twitter. And you can find the Center for Interactive. <laughs> I can't even it say is a, It is a mouthful. <laughs> The Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration can be found at www.cilc.org, and my direct connection is mcougan at cilc.org, m-c-o-u-g-a-n at cilc.org. Please come check out our website. We have lots of applications for video distance learning. We have applications for collaborative technologies, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Alan and Monica, thank you very much. And this is Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. And if you would like more information about USDLA, you can find us at www.usdla.org. Thank you, and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.